keep that passage open. Uh, hold on to your Bible because we will actually move and flick across to another passage in a moment. And friends, this morning we continue to explore Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he shows us what life will be like when he is our king. And you can sum up the message of the Sermon on the Mount so far with the slogan from the discount supermarket Aldi. What's life in Jesus' kingdom like? Good, different. (laughs) It's good, not just because it brings us joy and hope and satisfaction, it does do that, but it's also good because Jesus as our when Jesus is our king, we will care about living godly, righteous lives marked by love for him and love for others. It's good and it's different. When you live for Jesus, your life stands out from the lives of those around you, doesn't it? You cop strange looks, you're out of place. Because, well, you're out of place. When we live for Jesus, we're living for something different. Well, today in Jesus' sermon, we come to the topic of marriage and divorce. And, well, the theme continues. Marriage in Jesus' kingdom is good different. It's good. Marriage as Jesus intends is marriage at its best. But it's good precisely because it's different to how our world views marriage. And so today, I hope you're prepared to just put worldly ideas about marriage to the side. Listen to what Jesus has to say. There will be things that he says that might confront you. But what he says is good. So I hope you will listen to him this morning. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to acknowledge the fact that this is a difficult topic for some of you in the room. Uh, There will be single people among us who will just long to be married. There will be widowed people among us who will grieve the loss of marriage. There will be married people among us who are struggling in their relationship And there will be people who have been hurt by divorce among us, either directly or indirectly. And all of those things uh, have the potential to cause us sadness, grief, anger, all sorts of emotions as we hear Jesus speak on this topic. But wherever you're at, whatever your circumstances, hearing these words of Jesus and are the words of someone who wants what is best for you. Let's remember that Jesus delights in giving us good things. He is not speaking here to judge you. He's not speaking here to make your life worse. He's showing you what is good. But bear in mind it may be different to what you're expecting. So friends, I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us to hear these words of Jesus clearly. So how about you pray with me? Our Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us and that you want us to know what is good. We know that you want what is best for us. Sometimes what is best for us is still hard to swallow. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear you speak clearly this morning. 
May the things that I say be true to your word. Anything that is not, would you help us to quickly forget it? Lord, would you help us to trust you at your word? And may you help us to live lives that are shaped by your word this morning. We pray this because it's good for us and we pray it because it brings glory to our Saviour and our King. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, in Matthew 5, it only takes Jesus two verses to deal with the subject of divorce. He's just told us that lustful looks are the same as illicit sex. And now in verses 31 and 32, he says the same is true of divorce. If a husband divorces his wife and she remarries, well, the woman, the new husband and the ex-husband are all guilty of adultery, says Jesus. But divorce and remarriage are not simple issues, are they? And so for us to get a fuller understanding of Jesus' teaching on this topic, uh, we need to skip ahead to Matthew 19, uh, where Jesus provides us with a little bit more detail. So if you've got your Bible open, flick forward to Matthew 19, because Jesus gets asked a question about divorce and remarriage here, and he provides us with a little bit more information. I'm going to read from verse 3. Matthew 19. Verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that in the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your your hearts were hard But it was not that way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is a situation between husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Well, friends, there's three things that we're going to see from this passage. You can see them on the back of your outlines if you grabbed one on the way in. At first, the permanence of marriage. Second, the provision of divorce. And third, the possibility of singleness. But we begin in verse 3 where some Pharisees come to question Jesus by asking whether or not it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you'll know that the Pharisees don't ask questions to learn from Jesus, do they? 
They ask questions to test Jesus. That's exactly what Matthew tells us in verse 3. It's a test. It's a loaded question. It's a loaded question because divorce was a divisive issue for Jews living in Jesus' day. You remember John the Baptist lost his head for what he had to say on the topic. And Jews in Jesus' day were divided. And they were divided on how to interpret one particular passage from the Old Testament. It's here, oh, sorry. There it is on the screen. Deuteronomy 24. And here's how it begins. Uh, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And then Moses goes on to say that if the woman marries another man, the first husband can't take her back. But the thing that was in debate in this verse is the grounds for divorce. What reason, for what reason, can a man divorce his wife? And there were two schools of thought on this issue, and they were taught by two prominent rabbis of the day. On one hand, there was Rabbi Shammai, who taught that the only grounds for divorce were if the husband finds something indecent in his wife most likely meaning sexual unfaithfulness. But there was another rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, who focused on the first part of that verse. He taught that a husband could divorce his wife simply if she becomes displeasing to him. And so he cast a much wider net. If your wife can't get pregnant, send her away. She's displeasing. Not pretty enough? Get rid of her. Burns your dinner? <coughs> Bye-bye, wife. And that, like, I'm not exaggerating, he actually wrote those, well, not those words, but if she spoils your dinner was one of the grounds that he approved of divorce. Two sides to this debate, but the liberal teaching of Hillel had become the majority view. Most people believed essentially in no-fault divorce. Well, the Pharisees want to know what Jesus says. Whose side are you on? You're going to displease someone either way. What does Jesus say? Take a look at verse 4. Matthew 19, verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that in the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together... Let no one separate. You have to just love the way that um, Jesus answers this question, don't you? He's talking to experts in the Jewish law and he asks them, haven't you read the Old Testament? And the bit of the Old Testament that he points them to is Genesis chapter 2, so it's like on the second page. Haven't you made it that far yet? Why are you talking about how to break a marriage haven't you read what, that God designed marriage to be permanent? See, Jesus points them back to God's creation of marriage in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve are united to each other and become one flesh. He argues from creation that when two people get married, they are no longer two people. 
They're no longer free to walk away from another. They are united. They are inseparably one. Just like your arm is not designed to be removed from the rest of your body, a wife is not designed to be detached from her husband. God himself has joined them together. And so no one, not even the couple themselves, are free to break them apart. While the Pharisees fight back in the Bible knowledge quiz, we have read Genesis 2, Jesus. Haven't you read Deuteronomy 24? Look at verse 7. They say, why then? Did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? If God's design for marriage was permanence, why would he allow divorce? Now, it's worth pointing out that the Pharisees got it wrong here because Moses didn't command that a a man give his wife a certificate of divorce. He never commands it. He doesn't even necessarily approve of it. If you read Deuteronomy 24 carefully, Moses simply assumes divorce. He says if a man divorces his wife, then here's what happens. But the question remains, why doesn't Deuteronomy 24 say, if you marry someone who becomes displeasing to you, too bad, you're stuck with them? Why does God allow divorce? And the answer, says Jesus, is sin. Because we're so hard-hearted, so callous towards God and his commands. And because we're prone to do things which break marriages, God gives divorce as a gracious concession. The New Testament identifies two specific things which fundamentally break the one flesh union of marriage. Uh, The first we see here on the lips of Jesus, that's sexual immorality. Sex outside of a marriage violates the covenant of marriage. It, It breaks that one flesh union of husband and wife. So if one partner cheats on the other, the marriage has been broken And Jesus allows divorce in that case. The only other reason identified in the New Testament is found in 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says that if a non-Christian abandons their marriage with a Christian, the Christian is free to divorce and to remarry. By walking away from the marriage, the two are no longer one. And Paul says the Christian is free. But these are the only two reasons given in the New Testament for divorce. Any other reason, says Jesus, is illegitimate. Which means divorce for any other reason is sin. God has joined husband and wife together. To separate it is to go against God, is to rebel against him. On top of that, Jesus says that remarriage after an unlawful divorce is adulterous because it violates the first marriage that never should have been ended in the first place. 
Verse 9, he says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and we can add to that abandonment, and marries another woman, commits adultery. We've seen the permanence of marriage. We've seen the gracious provision of divorce in certain circumstances. Uh, But now, having heard Jesus' words here, the disciples, they say the thing that maybe other people were too afraid to say. What's the point of getting married then? You mean we have to stay married even when it's hard? Because just like today, people back then treated marriage as a means to an end. People thought marriage was good so long as it suited you. Marriage was good if it brought you children. Marriage was good if it brought you security. Marriage was good if it gave you status. But Jesus says marriage is good in and of itself. Marriage is good because God designed it. Which means it's not just something we throw out when we have no more use for it. Well, the disciples think maybe it's better to not get married altogether. Maybe it's just easier that way. And Jesus says something that may surprise you. He agrees. Jesus replies in verse 11, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. The disciples question whether marriage is even a good option, and Jesus agrees with them. Jesus says there are some people who are unable to enjoy the one flesh union of marriage because they've been born eunuchs. They don't have the necessary equipment to have sex. There are others who have been made eunuchs, that is, they've been castrated. But there are still others, says Jesus who can choose to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's not a choice to castrate yourself, but a choice to remain single and celibate. A choice to not pursue marriage for the sake of serving in Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus says, if you are able to do that, you should. If you are able, you should accept that. Well, as we move now to consider some implications of this teaching on marriage and divorce, we'll start right there. The first thing, if you're single or widowed, consider staying that way for the sake of Jesus' kingdom. Now, in our society, singleness is often viewed as second best, isn't it? But remember, in Jesus' kingdoms, things are not just different, they are good different. In Jesus' kingdom, singleness is good. It is a good gift from God. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says it is a better gift than marriage. Singleness frees you from many of the burdens and responsibilities that come with marriage and having children. And staying single gives you much greater ability to use your time and use your energy and your money in the service of our King. Singleness is a good gift from God, so let's not reject that good gift. If you're single, 
seriously consider staying single. Now, secondly, if you do desire marriage, remember Jesus says not everyone can accept that word. Not everyone can accept singleness. He has given us marriage. If you do desire marriage, well, the thing that you need to see is you need to be prepared to commit because marriage is permanent. And so if we're seeking to marry, we need to spend serious time and effort preparing for a lifelong commitment. Which means you don't make the decision to marry lightly. You don't make the decision to marry on your own. If you're considering marriage, think long and hard about that commitment. Invite godly friends, invite a godly couple to walk you through that decision-making process. Third, if you're married, keep working at it. Because marriage is hard, and hard things take effort. Let's do everything that you can to build a healthy relationship so that faithful commitment to your spouse will not be a burden, but a joy. Fourthly, Now, if you're unhappy in your marriage, please don't divorce. Now, the temptation that I think many people in an unhappy marriage are tempted to believe, they are tempted to believe the lie that life will be better and that you will be happier divorced. But it is a lie. Ever since Adam and Eve, we have all been tempted to believe the lie that disobedience can be better than obedience. We get tempted to believe that not living God's way can sometimes be better than living God's way. And it's not true. It's a lie. Disobedience is always worse. Divorce will always be Worse. It will always lead to more pain. It will always lead to more sin. And so if you're unhappy in your marriage, don't divorce. Get help. Do whatever you can to pursue reconciliation and try to save your marriage. And friends, we as a church need to be helping each other in that. We need to be ready to bear one another's burdens in unhappy marriages. Uh, Fifthly, if you've been wronged by sexual immorality or abandonment in your marriage, then that is a different story. And so I want to be clear, because Jesus says clearly, that if this is the case, you are free to divorce and free to remarry. You should not feel guilty about leaving a marriage that someone else has broken. But, and this is really important, please don't let divorce be your first option. Yes, you are free to divorce, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to divorce. And I would encourage you to pursue reconciliation first. Janice and I have dear... (laughs) I'm not going to say this. Uh, Janice and I have dear Christian friends uh, where the husband was unfaithful to his wife. 
And that hurt their marriage. <laughs> of course it hurt their marriage. But they saved their marriage. He repented. She forgave. And while she was perfectly free to walk away from that marriage, she could have divorced, she could have remarried, she would have been entirely right in doing that. But she didn't. And they, they worked on their marriage and they have a beautiful relationship now. So please, please don't think it's not possible to stay married after sin. It will be hard. It will take time. It will take incredible effort to rebuild a broken marriage, to regain trust. But the gospel gives us the resources necessary to do that. And a reconciled marriage can be so much better than a divorce. So please don't rule that out. Sixthly, if you're the victim of abuse in your marriage, run. If you're being abused physically, emotionally, if you're being coerced, imprisoned, mis- mistreated, <laughs> get yourself to safety, please. Jesus doesn't identify abuse as grounds for divorce, but please don't think that means he wants you to stay in an abusive relationship. Now, the Bible is absolutely crystal clear that if anyone who uses their power in an abusive way that they are sinning and you are not helping anyone by allowing that sin to continue. So please get to safety, bring that sin to light, bring in the help of others to work out how to work through the next steps after that. But please don't think that because Jesus doesn't say abuse is grounds for divorce that you are required to stay and accept abuse. Number seven, uh, if you're divorced, if you're divorced and you realise today that Jesus would call your divorce unlawful, or if you've married someone who has previously been divorced, the difficult word today that I have is that you need to repent of that sin. You need to repent of that sin, but you need to find the gracious forgiveness of the Lord Jesus who died for your unfaithfulness. Now, you can't change the past, but we need to know that past sin is still sin. And so just because it's in the past doesn't mean you don't need to seek forgiveness. And it also doesn't mean that you can't do anything to make it right. Now, every situation is going to be different, but if you're divorced, can I encourage you today to consider whether it may be appropriate for you to apologise to your ex-spouse for your contribution to the breakdown of your marriage. That being said, if you're divorced and if you've sought forgiveness both from God and from your ex, 
then now let me encourage you to focus your energy on living faithfully in whatever circumstances you now find yourself. If you're divorced and you've stayed that way, be faithful in your singleness. If you're divorced and you're remarried, be faithful to your new marriage. Don't divorce your new partner. You, you will not deal with sin by adding more sin. Be faithful in whatever circumstances you are in right now. But finally... Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're engaged, divorced, or widowed, friends, I want you to know today that all of you can have the perfect marriage. Because Jesus laid down his life for the sake of his bride, the church. Jesus, the faithful and the true, committed himself to you while you were still living in sin. He brought you into reconciled relationship with your heavenly father, even when you deserved to be divorced and sent away forever. Friends, Jesus will never give up on his bride. His marriage is permanent. His love for you will endure forever. And so, friends, he is worth your commitment. Whatever your circumstances in your earthly relationships, know that he is worth your commitment. And so, friends, would you commit yourself to following, to loving, and to serving the Lord Jesus in your relationships? Let's pray. Now, Lord God, we are thankful for the earthly relationships that you give us. But Lord, we are also aware that they can be a source of so much pain and grief. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to you and faithful to one another in whatever relational circumstances we are in. If we're single, help us to be faithful in our singleness and help us to serve you with all our energy. If we're married, would you help us to be faithful to our spouse? Help us to love them like you have loved us, sacrificially and servant-heartedly. Give us the grace to forgive others when we're wronged. Help us to admit when we are wrong. May you strengthen the marriages in this church. Lord, for those of us who have been impacted by breakdowns in relationships, for those of us who have experienced divorce firsthand or within our families, Lord, would you be our comfort? Would you help us to acknowledge sin where there is sin? Or would you help us to receive gratefully your mercy and forgiveness for our sin. Lord, above all, we are so grateful that you are the good spouse, the one who is always faithful, always committed, always loves, even at great cost to yourself. 
Lord, we thank you for your faithful love to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us each to be faithful in our love for you. Lord, fill us with your spirit so that our relationships with one another and our relationships with you would be marked by faithful love. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.